this episode, I'm so excited. Celebrating Juneteenth with the Pointer Sisters, we are joined by Fritz and Anita Pointer to unpack their award-winning memoir, Fairy Tale, The Pointer Sisters' Family Story, and Celebrate Juneteenth. It is more than the definitive account of music icons. This is a riveting family memoir of the Pointer Sisters. It is a coming-of-age story centered in the civil rights movement with a backdrop of tenacity, learning the hard way, breaking through, and landing music award after music award, doing it their own way. In this joyous episode, we even hear Anita Pointer sing to us as we celebrate and think about Juneteenth, the Pointer Sisters, how are you celebrating? So we're joined by very special guests. Anita Pointer is a founding member of the legendary music group, the Pointer Sisters. Anita and her sisters found fame in the 1970s and 80s and 90s and their legacy lives on, but you will remember their first big hit, Yes, We Can Can, becoming a hit on the Billboard's Hot 100, breaking through to number 11. And we're also joined by Fritz Pointer. Professor Fritz Pointer is one of the oldest brothers of the June Bonnie, Anita, and Ruth Quartet, otherwise known as the Pointer Sisters. His latest book, along with Anita, Fairy Tale, The Pointer Sisters Family Story, is a memoir of their life. And it's co-authored, as I mentioned, with Anita Pointer. It is hot and fabulous. So let's get right on to it. Okay. So right. it is wonderful to be with you, Fritz Pointer and Anita Pointer. Oh my goodness. Hello. Oh, my pleasure. We are, we are, I'm it's excited. It's a thrill to be here with you. It, it is a yes. thrill. And I'm holding in my hands right now fairy tale. The Pointer oh. Sisters family story. It's amazing. Oh. And our listeners will be able to go to the website. <laughs> yes, there it is. <laughs> there it is. And, and look at the book and order the book. So oh, yeah, let's turn to a discussion about your new award-winning memoir, Fairy mm -hmm. Tale, The Pointer Sisters family story. The memoir chronicles your coming of age story as artist yeah. and 48 year musical career. That cannot be. Um, yeah, be. Yeah, be. Cannot be. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and oh my goodness. I mean, we started at the end in the 60s. Amazing. You know, yeah. amazing. It's never stopped until 2015. Look, for me in the book you describe the challenges you face to get where you are today the joy of making music trials and tribulations of the music industry and your journey navigating economic social cultural and political re realities and change so i want to just start there you got started mm -hmm. in the 60s what was it like getting started and what motivated you to get on stage well, I, what motivated me is I saw my sisters, Bonnie and June, singing at Fillmore West in San Francisco. They were with the Northern California State Youth Choir, and that's the choir that had the hit out, Oh Happy Day. Mm -hmm. And I saw them performing, and I lost my mind. I just wanted to be <laughs> up there with them so bad. I wanted, I was crying, so I, I couldn't, you know, I, I just couldn't take it. I wanted to be in that choir. So the next day I quit my job and I joined the choir. 
My goodness, was what was the job risky. that you quit? What what job was that? Blake Matuire and Sweeney, and a law office in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And I was receptionist studying to be a legal secretary. I had gone to several seminars and I was wanting to be a legal secretary. But um, that took it for me. And when, when I saw that chance, I said, I got to take this chance. And I took it and I joined the choir. Okay. We rehearsed for a few weeks and then we were all on our way to New York and to perform with the choir. But the morning of the trip, and mama had gotten a little loan to give me and Bonnie and June a little cash to take on the road, $300, <laughs> hundred a piece. <laughs> but, but we were ready to go. Our bags were packed and at the door and someone called and told my mother that uh, the trip has been canceled. Oh my goodness. Was, we were ready to leave that moment. Yes, yes, how devastating. So then I had to go get another job. My goodness. All right. So let's pull back a little bit for our audience so that they understand um, the family. So Fritz, why don't we start with you with, tell us a little bit about the family, the brothers, the sisters, the parents, what's the family story? Well, you know, we tell, we, we introduced the family in the book uh, in Oakland, California. We, we uh, came out to Oakland from Arkansas, from Little Rock, Arkansas. And uh, our parents were part of the great migration. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so when we got to Oakland uh, and uh, lived at a couple of places, even in the projects in Oakland, actually, but then our family started growing and parents had to get another house. And so we got a house uh, in Oakland on 18th Street. And before mm-hmm. too long, we had other relatives coming from Arkansas, our grandparents, uh, our, well, our, our, our uncles and aunt. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, my, my, my mother's uh, uh, brother and his brother. wife and their children. And right. so as it ended up, there were ended up being 15 of us in this house. 15? 15, <laughs> honey. Yeah. And, and I mean, we had a ball. We sure did. I mean, we there's sure nothing did. greater, particularly for a young guy, to grow up with four sisters. My goodness. <laughs> Four fine sisters who got fine uh, friends. Uh, <laughs> and so, so yes. Oh, so, so the Porter household was a happy household in spite of our, uh, you know, relative poverty. Uh, our mother had to yeah. work in the fields and go down to the fields and pick beans and strawberries and all kinds of stuff to feed us. Mm-hmm. This was in mm-hmm. California. So this in is not Cal- part of yeah. the Arkansas yeah. story. This no, is your this mother was after was the move. After the so, move Cal- in California. California. Oh, yeah. yes. Oh, yes. And so we, uh, you know, we, we were not uh, wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but we were a happy family. The singing mm-hmm. around the house, our mother sang all the time. You know, she would sing no matter what. She and sure our dad did. Was, was quite the disciplinarian, but also a calm and. And what was your dad yeah. doing? Was he also doing agriculture? Was he doing something else? No, our dad preaching. at the time uh, worked. He was uh, first worked at General Electric uh, in Oakland. Yeah, he sure and did. He General Electric until uh, you know the, the church was able to uh, you know give him afford him a, a, you know, a, a salary, of, a modest salary, but he, he, had, an, he, had, he had another job, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he had so to have that other job. And you know, to. since we're celebrating yeah. Juneteenth too, it matters something that you said, Fritz, was, which is that the family came from Arkansas and that it was part of that great North 
migration it's going to help people to understand what that was about why were black folks leaving arkansas why did your family have to leave well i'll say that quickly and i'll let anita you know get uh in on this too uh, i remember my grandfather uh and by, by the way granddaddy fritz he was called would say you know either i am going to kill somebody or i'm going to be killed because i cannot stand this uh he didn't add all this but but that's what he based upon the jim crow system there and the fact that our mother was a very uh well we sure biased but a very attractive woman and he said i've got to protect my daughter and so we've got to move. We cannot stay here. Either we, either somebody's going to kill us, or we're going to get killed because we cannot stand this system. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, got, you know, packed up, and uh, at least our family did, packed up and moved to Oakland, California. There and were so lots. Yeah. And you said there was a story where you said uh, they tried to take the house, saying he yes. hadn't made his mortgage payments. That's right. And lucky, I, luckily, he had saved every receipt. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. That's right. And so, so within your, your family, you have that Jim Crow story because yeah. that's a Jim Crow story, right? With families being threatened, with being removed from their house. And when you talk about, again, to help our listeners understand, when you're talking about great, you know, granddaddy Fritz saying that he has to protect <laughs> his daughter, he's not yeah. just talking about protect his daughter because, oh, she's going to go on a date. We're talking about right. the fact that black women were regularly and routinely raped and subjected to sexual mm-hmm. assault. And yeah, so it was granddaddy field. protecting <clears throat> his daughter from the prospect mm-hmm. of that and then no one being punished for That's doing true. those kinds right, of things. So, so Anita, the yeah. family arrives in mm-hmm. California and there are siblings. Give us the order of the siblings. Who are the siblings? <laughs> <laughs> Aaron's the oldest brother. Okay. Fritz is next. Fritz is the younger brother. And then Ruth is next. And I, then I'm number four. And then Bonnie and June was the baby. And June was the baby. And mm-hmm. ultimately, you all, after you get so excited seeing your sisters on stage that you quit your job at the law firm. <laughs> I sure did. And and, and I had to take the chance. You had to take the chance. And so many of our listeners, so many women sort of confront that like point about when they have to take a chance. But you took a chance and eventually you all took a chance and you became the Pointer Sisters. Tell us about Mm -hmm. that evolution. How did you become the Pointer Sisters? Well, we were the little Pointer Sisters in church, but (laughs) even though we were never little, we were the big, (laughs) the big little Pointer Sisters. But um, we, me and Bonnie and June started doing backup singing. And we did a, a lot in the studio in San Francisco, different groups, uh, Taj Mahal, Elvin Bishop, uh, Grace, Grace Slick. Wow. Um, Esther Phillips. Esther Phillips, yes. <laughs> and Sylvester and his hot band. Oh my gosh. Uh-huh. Yeah, we worked with him and, and you know, we. I always felt and I always felt like one of these days we are going to be up front. But that was a great tool for learning how to be in the back mm-hmm. and how to treat people who are behind you, you know? Wow. It really, really made a t- total difference because we didn't come out doing no diva crap, you know. We were just right. We knew what it felt like to be the backup. 
Right. And, and yeah. Yeah. And not, a, and, and it's rare, isn't it? That backup singers make their way to the front. That's, That's the truth. That's so true. And especially when it's three of them, usually they break the groups up and one comes out, you know, and the rest of the group kind of fades away. Mm -hmm. But that but, didn't uh, happen for you. What was no, the break? What, what, what was it that got you to the front? We were performing backup singing with Elvin Bishop at the Whiskey A Go-Go here in LA. And Jerry Wexler, who was Aretha's producer at the time, saw us with uh, Elvin Bishop and called our manager, who was David Rubinson, and at, told him, I want those girls. I want to sign them. I want to sign these girls tonight. And he got the deal <laughs> right away. And we were off and gone to New Orleans. Orleans first, and then to Jackson, Mississippi first. Our first big record deal came from Jerry Wexler. Wow, and were you surprised when it happened? Yeah, but I knew it was coming someday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was just kind of surprised it happened that way, you know, not like in an office where we're sitting down negotiating and all this kind of stuff, you know, right. but yeah, but I was just so honored that Aretha's producer liked us. Yeah. Liked us enough to want to sign us to his uh, record label, and that was Atlantic Records, and that was the first deal we got. And what year Me was that? Do you remember? Ooh, oh God, seventy-one, I believe. Or it could have been sixty-nine, but it, but earlier. Yeah, like around nineteen sixty-nine, seventy. 69. I think it was. I don't even remember what year that was. Mm -hmm. So you got your yeah. your first deal then, yeah. and and so Fritz, where are you in all of this? So they've got their deal because at some point you're you're on the road with them. At some point you're wearing a manager's hat before you just have too much of it. All. You know, uh, it's not easy, you know, uh, working with family, you know, particularly the young sisters, you know. Uh, and, 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 and I, I, it took me a while to understand and to realize really, and to be really conscious of the stature that they had achieved. And so when they were doing Carol Burnett and Flip Wilson and the Cher show, well, to me, it was like, hey, you know, okay, so, okay. It wasn't, I, I really didn't quite comprehend the, the bigness of it, if you will. And so, uh, you know, I, they, they hired me as a road manager because I needed work, first of all, and I appreciated that so much. But then uh, as a road manager, I had certain responsibilities that I tended to uh, shirk because I, <laughs> because I was a college educated dude. And so, uh, you know, I was just sitting reading my New York Times and they're saying, hey, you got to check this stage floor. It's got holes in it. You didn't see those? You didn't see those holes in the stage floor. This was in New York City, in Madison Square Garden. I said, but anyway, that was my first faux pas. <laughs> the next one was when they were doing the Carol Burnett show and asked me, uh, you know, during a break, if I would go get some burgers. And I said, hey, I'm reading my New York Times here. Can I finish my New York Times? <laughs> And then, I don't know who said it. It may have been June. Said, but look, we're stars, Fritz. We're stars. Sound <laughs> <Not> like June. <laughs> so I did put oh that damn paper God. down and go get us some hamburgers. <laughs> so that was, you know, that was uh, kind oh of a writing on the wall that it was time for me to, you know, head maybe off into another. Uh -huh. Time for you to <laughs> head into academia. Oh, and those yeah. holes in the oh. floor matter because they're dancing. 
Oh yeah, we always look out for that. Oh, yes, indeed. So and they are. So I'm wondering how we fit in then something else. So you've got a loving family that's all together in Oakland. You got this musical talent that's coming out in church and whatnot. This, in part, I'm just tiptoeing back a little bit here. And uh, at some point, we've got Bonnie and you, Anita, being founding members of the Northern California Black Panther Party. Yeah. yeah so how does that come about and fritz you're involved through fritz. <laughs> exactly yeah, fritz too. that's how i got involved through my brother fritz he was teaching when he came back from college and he was teaching black history to black kids in oakland who had never had any black history you know we didn't get nothing in school except you are you're from cotton pickers that's what you're all about that's all you contributed making to this country making peanut butter and making peanut butter that was it yeah you know, but Fritz yeah. got me involved and we were friendly with the pack with the Panther Party, but we were a different group. We, yeah. Fritz was into a more teaching, mm-hmm. you know, instead of fighting. You know, yeah. we, you know, he wasn't promoting guns and he was promoting education and learning. I was very fortunate, Michelle, to have a mentor. Uh, his name was Dr. Mudavana Patterson. And uh, yeah. he was a PhD yeah. from Berkeley, California. And he was uh, close, so close. We were brothers. We would travel to Africa uh, three times together. We went to Libya. Wow. We went to Egypt. We went to Tanzania together. Wow. And he was my mentor. And he advised me because okay. Oakland, it was a very, and, and is still, a very uh, sophisticated city politically. And the infrastructure mm-hmm. was very highly developed politically with all kinds of organizations, including the NAACP and Urban League and CORE and RAM and SNCC and mm-hmm. uh, the Muslims and, and, and mm-hmm. all of those were there, the Paul Robeson Society. And my mentor took me to all these different organizations to meet their leadership, but he advised me not to join any of them. He said, you should know who they are, but don't join any of them. And I understand that uh, now and understood it a bit later that it, it allowed me to work with anybody. <laughs> it allowed right. me to work with yeah. anybody without being pigeonholed <clears throat> into a particular uh, mold. Mm-hmm. And I think if there is another theme that comes out of our uh, family, and that is a fierce individualism. There is a fierce individualism among my sisters. <laughs> I mean, yes, they, well, you could awesome. see it even how they took yeah. to the stage that fierce yes. individualism. Yes. <laughs> we yeah. were so the different. Way they dressed, and Nita would perhaps give you some background on the uh, uh, Esther Phillips encounter. Oh, which, oh, God. I mean, oh, dear. Well, we were being practical. We, we were getting this little $15 a show. <laughs> and <laughs> wow. And we used that to get us a little bit of something to eat and save it up to pay our rent. Amazing. But she told, she gave us that and told us to go to Learners, this cheapy store in Oakland. She said, "Go to Learners and buy you some outfits for the stage. Get something that's matching." <laughs> we were coming on stage with our bell-bottom jeans, with the Rolling Stones tongue on the back on the booty, <laughs> and <laughs> we were rock and roll, you know. <laughs> but that was not what she wanted. She wanted us to dresses like she she wore evening gowns and we we're up there yeah. in jeans but yeah. we didn't have money to buy no new wardrobe you know we had been performing in jeans with elvin bishop with taj mahal 
But all the San Francisco people that we worked with at that time, they accepted us in jeans. Well, well, not Esther Phillips. You know, and we're going to come back to the, the the stage presence because you all also did something that folks call the crossover and stuff like that, too, as you were talking about, you were already rock and roll. But I, you know, start off with this question with regard to the Panthers, because you also were educated and you brought a vision of education and you're absolutely right fritz you know in thinking even about the panthers and their early work was about educating kids providing free lunches to kids all these things that weren't being done and i wonder then how being politically aware being socially aware being committed to the uplift of black people how that informed then your music as you started out was that ever part of the backdrop in terms of thinking about the formation of the pointer sisters mm -hmm. uh, well i would say that first hit anita i'm gonna let anita take it from here though but that yeah. first hit yes we can can anita has some lyrics <laughs> in there that i think expresses the kind of political commitment that she's uh, displayed mm -hmm. uh, uh, most of her adult life how can you yeah. sit there? What's the rest like of there, Like there's nothing to do. Like you don't care what this world's coming to. Woo! Lord. Oh yeah. my God. So, ma so many needy, so many poor, but love and understanding is the key to the door. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And oh my with God. lyrics like this audience, and do respect the women of the world. Remember all you have yeah. mothers. We got to yes. make this land a better land than the yeah. world in which we live. Oh my gosh, it gives me chills. Uh, <laughs> lyrics from me that too. song. <laughs> yes, it? yes. Me too, it does. I, I mean, very, uh, I, I've said to Anita, I've said to her, I said, Anita, you're a griote. People know about griots, <laughs> but they don't know about the griotes, the women poets and singers of Africa. <laughs> and I said, Anita, you are a griote because her lyrics, her words are so profound. And, uh, you know, I would put her oh. up against the best of poets in terms oh, of her, just you, her words. She's just been, I mean, her words are just amazing. Like that fairy tale that she wrote. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Mike, the, the Elvis said, what, what did Elvis say about Elvis that? Elvis said it was the story of his life. Yes, yeah. yeah. Fairy tale. And yeah. he recorded it on his Elvis Today album. It's on his Elvis Today album. That's amazing. Yeah. And I never got to meet him, but I was sure glad he did my song. I was there really thrilled with that. Yeah. Well, well let's yeah. let's talk about that. So we've got the Pointer Sisters end up being formed. You get your first um contract and does the group start off as the four or start off as the three four ruthie came in well the first contract was three mm -hmm. me and bonnie and june <clears throat> but then soon after because the, what we did with that atlantic records deal when we did the recordings we took it back to san francisco and our manager threw it across the room up against the wall and <laughs> broke it to pieces <laughs> Pulled the tapes out. <laughs> it was real, real. He said, uh-uh, <laughs> this is not what I want you guys to do. Because we got down there, we had songs that we had written, songs that we took down there, and they laughed in our face and told us black girls can't sing this kind of stuff. You have oh to gosh. sing hard. Because we had a country song, a jazz song, mm -hmm, and, you know, a little with Taj Mahal and you know, different mm -hmm. stuff. But they said, no, you got to sound like the Jackson Five or the honeycombs. Mm -hmm. How did you respond that's, to that, right? I mean, that's so offensive, saying that you can't be you. And, we stood there and looked sad. Wasn't <laughs> 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 the only thing else we could do was laugh in our faces. We stand in there singing to them some of these songs, and they just start laughing. 
Right, well, because I, they I actually, believe that it was black very women humiliating. I couldn't believe they would do that to us. I couldn't actually, believe it. it was really Bonnie had an interesting reply cool. too when they said uh, you've got to decide what genre you want to sing. What do you got to decide uh -huh. what you sing? And Bonnie's response was, "We we have decided. Right, we, we want to sing everything. We want to sing everything. <laughs> right, we want to sing everything." And I think that's uh -huh. that's the challenge. I think you know, uh, uh, for a lot of young people coming up now, they're they're being forced to choose a genre. Mm -hmm. They're being yeah. put into a box and saying, you got to that's all you can box. do. Well, and you had an intersectional box, right? Because it's the box because of race and it's the box because of sex. I mean, yes. you, you, on, on both fronts, this is what you can't do. And this is what we're telling you that you. So how did you all navigate that? Did you have, you know, huddle where you sort of huddle together and you said, <laughs> all right, this is how we're going to do it. Or did you say, OK, well, we want to get our foot in the door and keep our foot in the door. So this is how we'll do it. How did you come to the decision about how you move forward after that? We just really trying to think of what did we do? We really. Uh, found it in the music, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, when we wanted to move forward or do something to impress the, the pe people of the world. And mm -hmm. we found that in our music. And, um, and I think David, that Rubinson. Seemed to, David Rubinson was a great starter for us. He just made everything so wonderful. And he protected us too, from all the craziness that's out in this entertainment world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that, that relationship. What, what, what did that, how did that form? Who is he? What did he do? David. Mm -hmm. David Rubinson. Bonnie and June were, well, let's see. Bonnie and June had was doing some backup singing with this guy named Michael Takamatsu in San Francisco. And he took a tape into David Rubinson's office. He turned Bonnie and June on to David Rubinson. And David uh, played the tape and he liked Bonnie and June's backup singing, but he didn't like Michael's singing, so he, but he gave Bonnie a, he gave Bonnie a card of his, and me and Bonnie and June went to Texas, and uh, this was, God, was this before, this was before the Atlantic deal, yeah, before the Atlantic deal, because we hadn't sang with Ellen Bishop yet, me and Bonnie and June, I met this guy who said he knew, he knew all these people in Texas that could get us started and we wanted to sing. And this was like between the choir and nothing, you know, mm. a new job, I worked at another company, but let's see. So. You went to Houston. We went, we, yeah, we went to Texas, got stranded in Texas and Bonnie just happened to have David Rubinson's card in her purse. Wow. And we said, well, we, it won't hurt to try. You know, we tried everybody else, every <laughs> other friend we know, including mama. And mother told us, I'll get, mother said, I'll get my baby June home, but the, you and Anita are better get home on your own. You and Bonnie better get home on your own. So we were kind of stuck there and staying in a horrible place with this girl that we had just met because we were stranded. This guy that we went to Texas with abandoned us. Oh my gosh. He got mad because I think he had other plans for us in Texas. And, and you didn't we, have those plans. You didn't uh -huh. share those plans. <laughs> no, we said, we are, you are not going to tell us what to do. You know, yes. he could boss us around. No. <laughs> Crazy fool. So he put us out. And we oh didn't my know, God. And he was from, he was from there, from Houston. His, his mother lived there. His sister lived there. And instead of him go, to go out and go see it to other places, he put us out. 
Oh my gosh. So, and so we've got the real dog. We've got the card. So David, yeah, we call David, say he can't hurt, you know, he can't hit us, but he just answered the phone. And he agreed to get us back to Oakland. And he sent tickets for me, Bonnie, and June. Mm. And we left Texas and got back to Oakland. And as soon as we got back, he started booking us as backup singers. That's when his backup singing really started mm-hmm. with David. Look at that. He got a, he got a job with uh, Sun Bear, with yeah. Elvin Bishop and Cold Blood and all these different San Francisco artists. He, he was the one that got He really got you all started, which then led mm-hmm. to you being able to get your first major contract. Yeah. And, you know, Anita- Yeah, he the- rescued us from a horrible situation in Texas. Right. Wow, he really did. He rescued us. It was really bad. Isn't that interesting that synergy, um, the the fact that that all came together in that way, the serendipity of it? Yeah. It's amazing. No, I'm telling you, it made me really. It was the best yeah. time of our lives. You know? Audience, I am holding this oh. book in my hand and it just feels so magical. You have to go to our website and look at the cover of this book and you will see exactly what you heard fritz and anita talking about in terms of their individuality and it's working i mean it's just and and what's interesting is the individuality comes out and it's also seamless you know you're not wearing the same things but it looks so in harmony that's amazing yeah anita on the very first page of the memoir you write we were thrust into the dizzying world of show business with no professional training other than singing in the choir at our father's church. Not only that, we knew nothing about royalties, songwriting credits, or management fees. So what was it like entering that music industry and then having to learn? Tell us about what did you learn and what would be your advice to people who are coming up just like you were? Sorry, my phone started ringing. <clears throat> what would it be to? For yeah, people so you didn't up? have you didn't have all that experience, and so I wonder what was that like? What were the things that you had mm-hmm. to learn? And then we'll get to what advice you have for others. So, so you didn't know any of those things. Um, did you have experiences where you like? I wish we right. had known we that. Didn't... Yeah, I, well, well, I'm working like, in. Uh, yeah. Taj Mahal, for example, told them they should get certain kinds of arranging credits and stuff. <laughs> he sure did. And he so was the first people- one to tell us when we had been doing backup singing with a lot of groups and they they get us in the studio and they say, now, listen to this song. Now, what would you sing behind it? Mm. And me and Bonnie and June would create the background parts and we were good at it too. And, but only we got paid for singing. We would mm-hmm. create them and sing them. Right. But <laughs> you were actually Mahal doing arranging. <clears throat> yeah, arranging and writing. Taj Mahal was the first one to tell us that, you know, you guys deserve credits on this because you do more than just sing the songs you're creating you know you're, you're arranging the vocals arranging, yes, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah but that ownership but, uh, the ownership of music comes later i think anita uh, in terms of uh recognizing the need to uh, uh, to own, own your publishing own your publishing you know yeah things it, like you know? that so when yeah. did you learn they don't about tell that? you that so, so yeah. when, when did you learn about that, that you had to, you know, own your own music? I guess I learned about it when um, I was with Sonny Burke and he taught me a lot of stuff about the music industry. He had been in it for a long time. And 
And Sonny Burke um, is who? A pianist. He was Smokey Robinson's musical director. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he was the he was the assistant producer on the Pointer Sisters having a party album. Mm. He produced that with Dave, with uh, Richard Perry. And so that's yeah. something then that, that ends up coming out where you learn. I, but I imagine that there were a lot of women, perhaps a lot of, you know, a lot of black musicians, black women musicians who did that not know. know. Yeah. Know. I mean, right. they be, and a lot of these com- corporations, they'll pay you off and you be a ghostwriter, you get paid, but they mm-hmm. take all the credit. Mm-hmm. You know, the artist will take all the credit and you don't have anything to back, back you up on it because you signed a deal that I'm a ghost, you know. Yeah, you know, it's hard, Michelle, particularly when you're coming out, like I said, we came out of a poor circumstance, you know, and beginning to uh, make a living and make money, you know, mm-hmm. you, you're glad to be able to, you know, to sustain yourself and you're not thinking so much of the future investment you're just you know just right trying to survive you know and mm-hmm. and, and, the, and the managers and producers today yeah they, they kind of and they you know, exploit people i mean oh, there yes. are people oh, who yeah. are you know oh, yeah. very famous had hits and then you find out that you know they died homeless that's right sort of exactly exactly you know, like all right, Anita and that's that's Anita something has, that happens all yeah. the time. Anita you know, has but, songs that she's written that she can't collect on for what twenty years or something. Or? It started off as fifty-seven years that wow. I wrote them and I published them back in the seventies, <laughs> and now it's coming to where I think I just have a few more years and I can <laughs> recoup my publishing on those songs. That's amazing. So there is a way in in which you're still caught in that. All right. So I do want to get back slightly to this political, but I'm going to let that go for a bit because President Obama used your record. Yes, we can can during his presidential campaign in 2008. Um, And there's so much more there. You really the the mold breaking. And then there comes this time in the 70s and the 80s where the Pointer Sisters are everywhere everywhere everybody's so excited about the pointer sisters and whatnot so when is it that you reach that magical space and what comes with the magic right because there's a lot of work to get to that space Mm -hmm. where you're on the top of everybody's mind and on the tip of their tongues but what are the costs of fame Mm, mm, mm. oh boy i know we're getting deep now well yeah yeah being away from your family you know yeah that's that's a big part uh that's a real real sacrifice that's a real sacrifice to leave home and have your baby Mm -hmm. crying don't go mommy don't go and Mm -hmm, you gotta go mm -hmm. to the airport and you're not making enough money to take them with you Right. Now, these other groups, these white groups, they they have money, their deals are with the record companies and they can take their husbands, the kids and everybody on the road with them because they're giving them enough money to do that. Mm-hmm. They don't do that with Black Axe. Mm-hmm. You, you have to work your way through everything. Yes. Oh, yes, God. Yes, yes, yes. Even so when you're we, selling the really... record. So even as you are, yeah. your name is everywhere, but you're not getting mm-hmm. money. You're not getting the paid what the white artists are being paid no, oh, no. oh no never mm-hmm. no we're not no. you know and it's a shame no. mm-hmm. yeah, getting, getting that getting that top building is hard you know there are some real yeah traumatic times that are mentioned in the book even their first appearance at las vegas i think it was the first anita when june wouldn't come out of the dressing room tell us yeah, about that, that. tell us vegas. about that i was thinking about that too because that's another place where we're 
pushed into these rooms down the hall. <laughs> Describe when the other act. I won't, I won't name any other acts, but when they come in, they get a villa, beautiful mm -hmm. villa. Yeah. But we didn't get that, even though we were headlining at Caesar's Palace. Mm. Wait, so so for the audience, so the so that the audience, because I'm holding the book and I'm feeling magic in my hands, you all. <laughs> but for those of you who haven't yet read the book, and I know you're going to rush out and get it because they're winning all sorts of awards about this book. It is so powerful. Mm. So you're headlining. It is wonderful. Thank you for your endorsement of it, Michelle. Hey, well, you. of course. Thank you so much. Of course. Of course. So you all are headlining in Vegas. And Vegas, of course, had its race history too. And Frank Sinatra ends oh, up yeah. you know, oh, getting yeah. involved in that. And so tell us about your headlining, but you're not getting the uh, comforts of headlining. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, we didn't even know it because we, they, they were the rooms they always gave us, but they were always the rooms at the end of the hall. They were nice big suites with horrible yeah. wallpaper. <laughs> at the end of the hall. That wallpaper screams at you, get out and gamble, get out of the room. Right, and right, gamble. right, exactly. And meanwhile, but, white acts that aren't even headlining are being provided villas. And other yeah. kinds I don't of know that, but I'm talking about those who were headlining. Okay. Yeah. Just like we were headlining. Those right. are the but ones you're not I know getting. That, we didn't get the villas, you know, yeah. we didn't get that. We, we never had a deal. And why was it that June didn't want to come out? Just nerds. It was our very nerds. first time there, our very first time in Vegas. And she was just nervous and tired, stressed, exactly. tired and stressed. Yeah, because we were working so so hard. We had just come back from uh, had just come back from Midham in uh, France. Uh, Midham, yeah. Midham, Midham, okay. Yeah. From France. In the and, south of France. And it was like a three and a half, four week grueling tour, uh, day after day after day. And uh, June was just exhausted. You know, she had gone mm -hmm. through this terrible traumatic mm -hmm. experience uh, not long before of being, you know, well, being raped in Oakland. Uh, mm -hmm. by these guys and that 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 traumatized yeah. her for the rest of her life yeah she never got over it Poor never baby. got over it never got over it and mm -hmm. uh, so she began to you know try a little self-medication but uh the, the doctors uh, first got her on these hard hard meds these hard uh, drugs until mother mm -hmm. until she was like in a zombie like state just again just prior to their uh you know advent into the career world uh uh, but she was like a zombie light steak and mother went over and said, hey, I'm taking my baby home. Mm -hmm. she, took him out, she took her out of the hospital and brought her home. And I was there at the time and I know mother bathed her and washed her and took her mm -hmm. to movies and held her hand and sang to her. And I'm sorry, Fritz. Yeah, this is, this is the backdrop. So as part of the added texture of a group that's bringing such joy and life to an audience the backdrop is also the kind of suffering you know and enduring things like you know the 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 rape sexual assault against june and the family and the group having to deal with that so i mean that's attention you know they they say the show must go on yeah, it must get yeah, to the stage yeah. but the audience mm -hmm. doesn't always know just what's how traumatic on? what's going on in someone's mm -hmm. life to get you to the stage so did june get to the stage no she, mother had to come and pick mm -hmm. her up in a private plane 
She wouldn't come out of her room. She wouldn't go. She wouldn't go on stage. She would not go on stage. We had to redo our whole show with three. Mm-hmm. With me and Ruthie and Bonnie, we had to redo the show because it was all choreographed and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. So we yeah. just re- we just did it. And you know, yeah. we're talking about the challenges behind the music, oh, yeah. and you know the things that folks encounter. This is what we get to learn from the book and more. So I'm glad that you're willing to share. Uh, these experiences with us and you you know you talked Mm -hmm. about Anita how hard it can be to leave your child behind Mm -hmm. because you don't have the money to be able to take your child on tour with you or anybody Mm -hmm. else what are some of the other kinds of challenges that you found while everybody's celebrating your music but behind the scenes you all are having to deal with things well things like I'm going Fritz no, go go on, Chris. Oh, I, I was just going to mention well, there are two things I've had come right to mind, and that one is uh, the uh, the event when they first did their first uh, public appearance at this club. I think it was called Bimbos, and oh uh, yeah, and and yeah. The, and the and the and the band members, a couple of the band members, if not all of them, but a couple of them for sure, uh, had on full Ku Klux Klan regalia. No. In their very yes, first public appearance, yep. I mean, it's like the most in San hell? Francisco. Yeah, I mean, San what, Francisco. What, what? This was not yeah. Mississippi audience. Le- no, yeah, right. Liberal San, San Francisco. Francisco with the band members in Ku Klux Klan, and here they are on stage like four B- Billy Holidays, and it was like, yeah, we could have been singing "Strange Fruit." You could have been. I'm telling here you, they're coming I'm out singing. They're coming they out playing with Luke, Luke Klux Klan uniform. That was yeah, so and what, what for? To intimidate so, them, to frighten them, to hopefully make them evil. Just mm-hmm. evil, 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 evil. The second one I want to mention is the the, the event at um, uh, the uh, the uh, Grand Ole Opry when they mm-hmm. uh, were told when they were met with signs saying "Keep Country." white basically keep country country keep country white and they were met with these signs Mm -hmm. protesting when they were the first yeah before we went in to perform at the grand Ole opry and that's that's how they got welcomed to the grand Ole opry so 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 repeat that again fred so so they were the first first black female group black female group to ever perform ever perform at the grand Ole opry yeah. First and the last. And the, and the first black female group to ever get a Grammy for a country for song. For a country song. Here we go. And there yeah. it was. These yeah. folks saying that you're not supposed to, you're not allowed to sing country you're music. You're not country. You're, you're not, not country. country. And you are the first black female group to win a right. Grammy in country I music. I mean, when I wrote Fairy Tale, it wasn't, I, I didn't sit down and say, I'm going to write a country song. Mm-hmm. I just started writing a song. Right. And it came out country because I'm country. <laughs> <laughs> you were born in Arkansas. So we grew up clear. in a country church. of country, you know. That's right. That. That's right. That's yeah, right. No shame, that. no, no shame in No shame. No shame. I love the country anyway. <laughs> I was. I, I was. I was really happy that they also, Michelle, perpetuated uh, the only classical music of America, and that is jazz, to me. Yes. That that classical yeah. music that uh, right. my sisters that my sisters you know perpetuated that in their early days mm-hmm. with uh, mm-hmm. singing the Ellington medleys and singing Duke mm-hmm. Ellington and 
you know, Dizzy Gillespie and uh, and mm-hmm. those uh, giant, uh, you know, uh, jazz musicians, and they came out mm-hmm. singing that, that, that cloud burst and yeah. uh, what, what is it? What's some of the other cloud burst and uh, salt uh, peanuts? Uh, salt peanuts. Oh my God, <laughs> Michelle, I would I challenge any group today to sing that song. Sing that song. I mean, I, I mean, it's it's such a challenge, you know, and to hear Anita talk about how they learned the song, you know, methodically, uh-huh. day after day, adding a little bit more and adding a little bit more and until they got it down pat and boom, here we go. I was and moving and I always wearing a All of them are really grateful that we kept that genre of music alive, you know. Yeah. John Hendrix, he came and saw us and he cried. Um, Annie Ross, same thing with her. She was just so thrilled that we did the songs. Mm -hmm. It is the original American music, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it really is. But many people, so what many people came to see in the 70s and 80s, especially in the 80s, a lot of pop music. Oh, yes. so, So tell us about then the 80s and had that become economically better? And did you Uh, see that once you once there was greater economic stability, did some of the challenges still remain or did they lift a little bit? And then we'll get to I'm so excited and some of those songs that just people have swimming (laughs) in their heads. Yeah. Yeah. So, did it get better in the eighties um, economically? Think that's when, uh, Richard Perry uh, is involved, right, Anita? Yes, it is. When we started doing um, the Fire, the Energy album with Fire, Fire was our very first gold single. Okay. Because with all the albums we did with David Rubinson, we never had a gold single. We had gold albums. Uh-huh. But we didn't have a gold single, and gold single made such a difference. Because I mean, kids about kids will buy singles, you know, right. <laughs> adults will buy albums, but right. kids bought singles. And it really just propelled us into a whole nother level when we had that hit with fire. Mm-hmm. Bruce mm-hmm. Springsteen's fire. That was really a cool thing. Yes. And, and that is, and I'm hearing it right now. Fire, y'all, yes. Burn and burn. <laughs> <laughs> right. and, and you know, Michelle, that was another challenge too, uh, because uh, they were also told black girls don't sing rock and roll. You can't do rock and but, roll. Look at that. And you were just about to give us a little bit of fire, Anita. I'm riding in your car. You turn on the radio. You're pulling me close. I just say no. I say I don't like it, but you know I'm a liar. Cause when we kiss, ooh, fire. Oh, that is brilliant. Thank you so much. And Michelle, and Michelle, the other one, it became what they call like a female national anthem. Slow hand. Yes. I know. Oh, oh, okay. a whole lot of women trembling about that. Now, they, okay. they I know. I know. I, I, I was wondering if Anita would give us a little bit of slow hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> As the midnight moon was drifting through the lazy sway of the trees, I saw the look in your eyes looking into mine, seeing what you wanted to see. Darling, don't say a word, because I already heard what your body's saying to mine. 
I'm tired of fast moves. I've got a slow groove on my mind. Oh, yeah. I want a man with a slow hand. I want a lover with an easy touch. I want somebody who will spend some time not come and go in a heated rush. <laughs> I want somebody yes, who will understand <laughs> When it comes to love, I want a slow hand. Woo! That's the truth. You, you guys are truth. amazing. You know, I, I, was, I was trying my little harmony and I couldn't get in there. I was trying. I wasn't even going to try audience. Yeah. You guys, I, I mean, I did the, the harmony. And then, Michelle, oh, the way God. they, the way they uh, you know, stand on stage, again, is according to, uh, I guess, what do you call it? When you sing soprano or tenor or bass? Oh. Uh, because uh, huh? they, 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 well, they have a name for that, I thought, you know, but anyway, uh, they, you know, Ruth sings the low notes, Anita's next, and then comes Bonnie, and then June sings the high notes. So and it just kind of worked out organic. No, it was really Ruth, Bonnie, then oh. me, and oh. then June. And then June. Oh. I sang higher than Bonnie. I was above Bonnie. Oh, were you? Yeah, I'll okay. take the brother something there. I mean, <laughs> Bonnie had one of those parts. You got four-part harmony. You got to kind of filter in on some. And Bonnie was so gifted, so talented with doing that. Oh, Sometimes okay. she would be singing higher than me. But as a rule, I had the soprano. Uh, June had the top soprano. Uh huh. You had a contralto, so. and Bonnie had an alto, alto. and Ruth had the bass. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk <laughs> about the successes then, right? So, what are we talking about in terms of the path breakingness, the Grammys, and whatnot? Well, talk about what now? Yeah, your Grammys. So, so what have you won Grammys for? Like the successes that that came about from your music, right? You know, yeah. I'm thinking about to... the Grammy for you know for the country music and so yeah. much more, right? That and people don't necessarily associate or know. Maybe she should talk a little bit about participation and things like "We Are the World." And, yes, uh, yes, and, uh, exactly. And, and that was huge too. Misbehavior. That was. That was yes, good. that was absolutely. What a night! Huge. What a night! Spending the night at A and M Studios, and the sign at the door said, "Leave your egos at the door." <laughs> you know, people may not in. remember that. Oh. Uh -huh. Yeah, but there was a night of just you know everybody you could Stevie Wonder, Harry Belafonte. Quincy Jones, Mike Tina Turner, Look at Michael that. Jackson, Lionel Richie, you know, and I got a chance to spend the night with all these fabulous men. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, 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 it's amazing to think about just those enormous and impactful you know, successes. Yes, Fritz. Yeah, and I, you know, Michelle, all, what comes to mind too is their refusal to play South Africa. Because sometimes you sacrifice yeah. money too. You say, yeah. "Hey, uh, the money." The money great. is good. The money yeah. is good. So yeah, you know, but, and but we're hot now. So let's go, mm -hmm. regardless mm -hmm. of what they've done to my people. That is not cool at all. Right. And so you yeah, all made those know. decisions as well. That there <clears> were going yeah. to be places that you would refuse to play, yeah. no matter yeah, what money. Yes, <laughs> I'm telling you. If oh, I was out of the country, I might refuse to play in the United States. <laughs> well, there are people <laughs> thinking about those decisions, you know? 
It's so wrong. Everything needs to change. They need to scrap it and start all over again. Well, you know, this this is interesting, too, because, you know, the backdrop, what these times mean, you know, January 6th, we saw the insurrection at the nation's capital. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We've had, we were in the backdrop of uh, not only that tragic killing of George Floyd, but also Breonna Taylor and just lists of people, mm-hmm. you know, but I mean, just all the way year. from Trayvon Martin to Rodney and King. Absolutely. Just, 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 all of that. And so many. In thinking about your refusal to play in South Africa, you know, I'm thinking about Laura Ingram, who is a, a television personality. Oh. Who told LeBron James that he should quote shut up and dribble, and dribble. after yes. he spoke about the challenges that and come with something... being black in America, right? right and it right. seems to me that oh, you all that. made, even though you were um, entertaining, you were bringing um, such great music to people. You were also making important political points as well, and that's what we also get from your music. Yes, Before we um, wrap up, because this has gone by way too quickly, oh, um, uh, way too quickly. Um, fun. But I, you know, I also want to ask about loss because there's also been loss over time too. And how have you dealt with loss? Because the Pointer Sisters you started off as four, and so and over time you've had sisters who've passed away. So how has that been? Oh, very hard. And it started off with the loss of my daughter my only child and that was that whole decade from 2000 when my mom died 2003 my daughter died 2006 my sister died and it just that whole decade was just horrible just really 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 bad and um i mean it's been now 18 years since my daughter died but I'm still thinking about it every single day. I cry a lot about her. I miss her so, so much. And the same with my sisters. I miss them, especially right now. It's kind of focused on Bonnie because it's so fresh. She just, Yesterday was her anniversary of her death. Mm-hmm. She died June the 8th, 2020. That's right. That's that's her picture back there, by the way, Michelle. Bye. Yeah. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful <laughs> image. My baby, my baby sister. God, I love her. And we... It's not easy, you know, I have to find new ways to do things because we were doing so much together. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a whole different way of thinking about things now when I don't have her here and her to bounce things off of and can't call her. And, you know, we have gotten really, really close. Yeah. And, and you know, that's just you know, sad. Uh, Lizzie's, Lizzie's dad, whom you know well, and we mm-hmm. both know well, who were with him uh, in his last hours and minutes actually wrote poems for each of those uh deaths wrote he a, poem sure for, did. a poem for my mother uh wrote a mm-hmm. poem for june and uh mm-hmm. wrote a beautiful poem, wrote a poem for, for jada yeah, yeah every time i read it i cry every yeah it's a beautiful poem so beautiful uh people will enjoy that uh too about the book in terms of its variety of the, the photos mm-hmm. are fantastic yes. the photos are yeah, absolutely the photos amazing <laughs> in the book they are absolutely <laughs> great the, and, and this this picture of bonnie on the cover of jet yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's 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 some yeah. power there. And by the way, Michelle, can I mention too that uh, along with uh, our our stellar Congress people like uh, Barbara Lee and Ron Bellums, 
Uh, Kamala mm -hmm. Harris uh, also attended our father's church. Yes, yes, That's yes. We just found out about her. Yeah, we're, we're hoping that she learned, yeah. learned some lessons there. Yes, yes. <laughs> after this, will help her. to uh, Guatemala and telling the Guatemalans to stay home. Uh, I'm not oh, I know. Sure. But anyway, wow. I know that was kind of crude. Uh, I know they said they're going to try to work on giving them reason to not want to go. Yes, yes. And if that can happen, that would be ideal, of course. So that means taking some of the jobs down there and mm -hmm. instead of sitting on the Thailand. Wow. Yeah, so wherever, that's right. Wherever they've been. So much of to. your music. Not Thailand. I love Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> so much of your music has been about liberation and about uplift and liberation yes. for people of color, liberation for women, women of color, Black women. Um, and one just can't help but celebrate that um, in the book. Uh, one can't help but just notice all of the awards that you've won. 1981 Grammy Pop Performance for a Duo or a Group, 1982 R&B Performance Duo or a Group, 1982 Pop Performance Duo or a Group, mm -hmm. R&B 86 uh, Best Pop Performance for a Duo or a Group, 1975 oh. Country Music Performance by Duo or a Group, uh, 1985 vocal arrangements for two or more voices, 1985 pop performance by duo or a group, and so much more. I mean, there are accolades that you all are just shy about, but I want to lift them out to the world and to <laughs> you, our Jim. readers. Thank you, when Michelle. You, oh, absolutely. Got to drop the coins. Thank, um, you. Thank you. And I think one of the highlights of your memoir, which you don't see in a lot of memoirs. They give you just a taste of a few photos, but you know, audience, you get your hands on this book <laughs> and, and page 176 through um, page 241, you get just wonderful, beautiful photos that mark the, the that show the family that show them on the mm -hmm. stage. Uh, and you get a chance to see how church. you can be Yes, in church, um, how you can be collective and individual at the same time. I mean, I think yeah. that there are more books within this book yet to be written just in terms of how so yeah, many right women about today, right, one, they say, you know, they struggle from imposter syndrome. They wonder, you know, how they can uh, be the fullness of themselves and so much more. So I'm hoping we have another conversation about all of this. But before we close, the last question, which we ask all of our guests, uh, is about a silver lining. Mm. And uh, we are celebrating and recognizing Juneteenth. We're excited about it. We are celebrating the Pointer Sisters. And I'm just wondering what you see as silver linings coming forward from Arkansas to Oakland and around the whole world. I'll start with you, Fritz. What's a silver lining coming forward? Um, well, Michelle, for me, I'm hoping that the industry will be more open and receptive to artists in a variety of genres, that they will not limit artists uh, and, and box them in. Uh, I'm hoping that they'll be more receptive to them. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, thinking now of this uh, young black female saxophonist by the name of Jasmine Ghent. And I'm also uh, thinking of this new uh, country western singer uh, who uh, 
uh, who did this song, Black Like Me, I think mm -hmm. is what it's called. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah she's one. wonderful. Yeah. Yes. Guys, uh, yeah, and so I'm hoping that they will open up more and be more receptive to the variety of, that people bring to the industry and not just be so closed-minded and restrictive and, uh, and, and try to lock people into one particular, I think it was Herbie Hancock who said that, you know, to limit artists to one mode of expression is a crime. Yes. And I think so too. I think, you know, to limit artists to just one mode mm -hmm. of expression is criminal. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I also think like Nietzsche who said that uh, life without music would be a mistake. Yes. I'll yes. say. Yes. I couldn't imagine it. I couldn't imagine the time. I mean, oh my God. My silver lining is that be more open and less racist. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And for you, Anita, silver lining going forward? Well, I think that at least we're now beginning to see a vague closeness to the silver lining because people are opening up and telling the truth. Mm. And um that's been needed for so long. I mean, when I watched that thing about the Tulsa massacre and, and they said, nobody talked about it. Mm -hmm. Even right. the ones who lived in Tulsa, he said, I went to school in Tulsa and I didn't hear nothing about it in school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those kind of things that are hidden from this whole culture in America that they're so great, they rescued everybody, rescued the Indians from their, <laughs> they were savages and we rescued them. No, they need mm -hmm. the truth. Guests and listeners, that's it for today's episode of On the Issues with Michelle Goodwin. I want to thank my guests, Anita and Fritz Pointer, for joining us and being part of this critical and insightful conversation. And to our listeners, I thank you for tuning in for the full story. We hope you join us again for our next episode where we will be reporting, rebelling, and telling it like it is with special guests talking about the sex talk you wish you got from your parents, Sex Ed 101 birth control periods, and more. We'll be joined by Kelly Davis, Dr. Fatu Forna, I'm such a fan, Mary Emily O'Hara, and Jennifer Weiss-Wolf. It will be an episode you will not want to miss. For more information about what we discussed today, head to MsMagazine.com. If you believe, as we do, that women's voices matter, that equality for all persons cannot be delayed, and that rebuilding America, being unbought and unbossed and reclaiming our time are important, then be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to On the Issues with Michelle Goodwin in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. We are ad-free and listener reader, support it. Help us reach new listeners and bring the hard-hitting content you've come to expect by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. Let us know what you think about our show. So please support independent feminist media. Look for us at MsMagazine.com for new content and special episode updates. And if you want to reach us to recommend guests for our show or topics you want to hear about, write to us at OnTheIssuesAtMsMagazine.com. This has been your host, Michelle Goodwin, reporting, rebelling, and telling it like it is. On the Issues with Michelle Goodwin is a Ms. Magazine joint production. Kathy Spiller and Michelle Goodwin are our executive producers. Our producers for this episode are Roxy Zoll and Mariah Lindsay. We thank Oliver Hogg for research and digital assistance. The creative vision behind our work includes art and design by Brandy Phipps. 
editing by Will Alvarez and Marsh Allen and music by Chris J. Lee. Stephanie Wilner provides executive assistance.